Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two, Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. Welcome to The Big Rich Show. Today's guest is going to be none other than Cody Wagner. So tell us about yourself, Cody. Where'd you grow up? I was born in Whittier, California, which is Orange County, Southern California. Whittier is about, oh, 15 miles from Disneyland. So if you've ever been to Disneyland, let's pretty much say by Disneyland. I, uh, I was born there. Let's see. We were lived in uh, Yorba Linda. Yorba Linda is right off the 91 freeway and a small community. And I lived there until I was 15. From 3 to 15, I have a brother, Brian. He's three and a half years younger than me. So it's just my brother and I. Pretty much back in the day, you know, I uh, my dad would always work his ass off. You know, started he started his company in '84, so that was when I was about eight years old, and I never saw my dad. The only time I could actually see my dad is if I went to work. <laughs> he would drag me to work on the weekends, and uh, I clean the restrooms and wash the trucks and cars and vacuum, and that's where I got my worth ethic. My my dad dragging me into work and and working and I hated it. I I would I remember on Saturday morning he would go in my room at six thirty in the morning and he would see if I'm awake and I I'd be awake but I'd pretend I was asleep so hopefully he would just go off to work. <laughs> but uh, back to that. So grew up had a great childhood. Uh, you know we lived on a cul-de-sac and I remember playing with kids and hide and go seek. It, it was a cool. It was, a, it was a lot different than it is today, but it was really cool being able to play with everyone. And, and you know, mom, mom, oh, it's dinner time. She'd come in. You have dinner as a family. That was really huge. We were a tight-knit family. And uh, my dad, he, we'd always do things like if we used to have uh, ATCs. Uh, we had the three-wheel ATCs, and we'd go out to Glamis, go to the washes, and then we went to the high desert. And, every, and that's where I kind of got into wow, there's a desert out there. There's open land and, you know, you got to put a helmet on and, and go make some dust as they call it. And I really enjoyed that. And then we also went to the river and did a lot of, a lot of boating. And then my dad got into ocean boating and we started going over to Catalina Island, which is right off the coast of Southern California and did scuba diving and all that stuff. But when I was 15, my dad um, and mom, you know, being that they love the ocean and they had a boat down in the Harbor they bought a house down at the beach in San Clemente. So at 15, I moved down there, went to San Clemente High School, pretty much turned into a surf bum. I, I, my hair grew out to the middle of my back. I didn't have a job. I, th- I actually used to wash cars. It was one of my first jobs, and I was going to own my own car washing mobile detail service. Work when I want, don't need that much money, just need enough for a surfboard and some surf wax and wetsuits, <laughs> and go to the beach and surf. It didn't cost me anything, and I, I, it was great exercise, and it was a pretty cool lifestyle until I met Lindsay. <laughs> her, met, her, her girls came in the situation or, or came into the picture, and uh, you, you needed money, right, <laughs> to be able to go out with the, with the, with the girlfriends. I met Lindsay in, in history class. Uh, I don't know what year. I think I was a sophomore or a junior. She sat right behind me, and I used to come in from surfing because I had surf class back then. And she used That's to call my class. Surf in the morning down to San Clemente Pier and then uh, go off to school. Yeah, go to school. And that's where we met. And I've been with her ever since. 
you know, it, it's been a really, really, really good. Always, you know, highs and lows and good times and bad times. But we, we really make great a great partnership, strive to, you know, keep the relationship going. And, and we love each other and we have a family and all that. So back to San Clemente. I kinda, hopefully I don't go over the place. I'm sure I, I will. It's all but good. It was, a, it was a surf bum. And then uh, I got a truck. I got a 1988 Toyota pickup truck. Well, you need gas, right? So now I need to make some money. And I didn't really want to work for my dad because that was like, I've been doing that my whole life. So I went down to Price Club, which is now Costco, and I applied and I uh, got a job in the maintenance department. So I would clean the restrooms. I would empty the trash. All the things I, had, you did for your dad. Yeah, all the things I did for my dad. I was really good at cleaning. I'm still good at cleaning. I love cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> so... They had one of those uh, machines that you push and it cleans the floor and it makes the floors all nice and clean. Because that was another thing at my dad's shop. We'd sweep. We'd put down this this clean sweep down and you would sweep the shop every time. Where it was, He was really meticulous about where the tools go. Always have a clean shop. Know what you got. If you don't, if you haven't used something for six months, throw it away. We're not one of, you know, where a lot of people, they'll just hoard on to everything. Which works also, but it, it, it's always, it, I've always been taught if you don't use it, get rid of it, you know? So, um, so back to Costco, uh, and then Lindsay started working there and, uh, she worked in the bakery and then, uh, I got promoted up to the meat department. So she was, we were in the back of price club where she worked in the bakery and I work in the meat department and, and, uh, well, I don't know, we had some fun. <laughs> We'll but, leave it at uh, that. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But to get that job, obviously, I had to cut my hair and you know look presentable, and uh, started working. And then I learned really quick that, about unions, which I knew nothing about. So um, I, I left Price Club, and I was gonna do go back to the car washing and run my own company. But it, it, you know, some days it would rain, and, and there was all these variables on making money. So. At 18, I think I was 18 after I graduated, I went and applied for a job in my dad's shop, Industrial Process Equipment, IPE, and started at the bottom. You know, started, you know, he, he said, he's all, Cody, you're, you aren't going to get anything. You're going to work your ass off from the bottom. And if you want to go to the top, you can or, or don't, you know. So I, I was, I did the shipping and receiving, driving around. Uh, cleaning vehicles. I started at the bottom and worked my way up. And then one day he's all, you, you might want to learn how to do uh, drafting. I'm like, what do you mean? You got Jay. He does drafting. Jay still works for us. So, well, you know, it, it might be another step on moving up. So I went to school to, uh, to learn how to do CAD drafting. I, I hate school. I, I, my attention span just does not work with school. So I got behind the computer and learned it myself on how to how to make lines on a drawing and uh, that turned into doing system layouts powder coat layouts in buildings so I'd go to the customers get all the dimensions and lay the equipment into the facility and then that snowballed into doing um, doing making the proposals and then that snowballed into pretty much going out with my dad and selling the jobs for equipment so I did that for a long time worked you know, 12 hour days, six days a week, pretty consistently, um, never got paid a lot of money. It was mainly the way he always looked at it as if you want to make money, you need to work hard and work long hours to make the money. Um, and, and, and that, that's another thing with, with my dad is I learned about being consistent and not, not overspending and always saving money and putting it in the bank. Don't ever live beyond your means. So, um, from there, Let's see. I moved out when I was 18 also. Uh, I moved, Lindsay, um, she lived on the bluff and she had some money to be able to move out. So she moved out and we bought, she bought, she leased this 596 square foot apartment and it was $596, you know, it was a dollar a square foot. So we moved up to Whispering Winds in San Clemente and I was out on my own. My mom pretty much gave me the ultimatum that if you don't go to school because she wanted me to go to college, you need to pay. 
I'm like, well, why the, why the hell would I pay you when I can move out and pay someone else and live on my own and do whatever I want? So I said, okay, well, I'm out of here. I guess when I was 18, a lot of things happened. I moved out and that's when um, my buddy, Mike Edwards, who passed away last year, he, uh, he saw, Cody, you really need to buy a Jeep. I'm like, well, why would I buy a Jeep? He's all, well, it's a lot of fun. We go out to the desert and we, we go off-roading. And I'm like, okay. So for whatever reason, he was really good at selling, you know, convincing you to do things that you shouldn't do. Putting that dream <laughs> in, your, in your head. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll buy a Jeep. So I found a 1971 CJ5 Jeep. It was 4500 bucks. So I sold my, I call it my reliable Toyota truck sold it to be able to afford this cheap because I had no money. I, I mean, I had, I didn't, I mean, I was 18. I had no money. And, uh, I bought this 1971 CJ5 Jeep and went out to Truck Haven or Ocotilla Wells. There was this run called Taro del Sol, uh, TDS. Um, it's still going on. It's a, it's a pretty famous, uh, event. We went in these notches and up these hills and I fell in love. I was like, man, this is the coolest thing. I, I, it's so much fun. I mean, because I hate going home and just sitting on the couch and doing nothing. I love going either go surfing or go 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 boating or or go jeeping. So um, we went out there and did that. It's like, man, this is pretty cool. Well, I need to get, I need to upgrade, right? So I I put a I went and found a company called Tri County Gear, Jason Bunch, in Pomona. And he's all, yeah, well, you can put a low gear. It's, you know, you you can put an SM420 uh, transmission in. It'll give you a granny low so you can go real slow. And you got to put a locker, a Detroit locker in the rear. So we did that. And I went to larger tires. And I spent enough money with Tri-County Gear. Uh, they invited me on this customer appreciation run in 1994. So I went out there to the Hammers where the customer appreciation run was. Never heard of the Hammers. And I'm like, man, this is kind of cool. Well, what do we need? Oh, we're going to go up that canyon over there. I'm like, holy crap, really? Well, where's the road? He's like, well, that's the road. I'm like, oh, okay. So my Jeep's going to go up the path. And mind you, I had this meticulous little yellow 1971, had no scratches. It was beautiful. I, I mean, it was my baby. He walked me up sledgehammer the entire, um, the entire trail. T- teaching me how to rock crawl, how to keep, because I had a posi traction in the front and no power steering at the time. So I had to learn to keep the wheels on the ground because once you lift the wheel in the air, obviously it spins with the posi. So that's where I really learned how to drive the little Jeep. And my little Jeep was 83, had an 83 inch wheelbase. So all the other Jeeps were like 12 inches or longer. So they had the the ability to climb the ledges where mine, I had to be pretty strategic on how to get up the ledges or up the waterfalls and stuff. So after that, I I really was like, man, this is way cool. And then a month later or a couple months later, uh, a picture uh, was in four wheel drive support utility magazine. It was one of the, it it was one of those magazines. I have it on the wall. I was like, man, I'm famous. I'm in the magazine. (laughs) so that was the years where competition started coming up uh with the i think arca and u-rock and all those uh pro rock all those competitions in the in the late 90s and um one one uh year jason bunch was competing and he was he was one of the best in his little yellow yj i think it is and he dragged me down to las cruces new mexico and they, these guys ran a whole different way than I would run. The re, what I am saying that is they would get to the event like at midnight the night before, still working on their shit, and they wouldn't sleep and they wouldn't eat. And I was like, what are you guys doing? When are you going to sleep? We aren't going to sleep. Let's drink some beer. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then they convinced me to push a spare tire up the canyon of Las Cruces in case they needed a spare tire. And I'm like, this is for the birds. This is, this is shit. I'm not, I, I, this, I don't work this way. So anyways, I did that. And I realized I wasn't really a pit crew type person to go along, or at least not with the, that team. And then in 2001, they had a modified stock class and that was in Las Cruces also. So I'm like, man, I, let's give it a shot. So we took the little yellow Jeep down there and we did really well. My dad spotted me. I think on the first course, he, he kicked a cone and that's where 
the whole yelling match. Cause my dad and I, we just, you know, he was a red, he's a, he's a red type personality and I'm a red type personality and we would butt heads and it was pretty comical. <laughs> it was, course. I remember. <laughs> kind of like with Ramble and I, so maybe it's all me. <laughs> um, yeah, we did that for um, until 2006 and we would slowly modify the Jeep. Uh, we would take and we'd get as much ground clearance. And I was losing events because I didn't have an Atlas. I mean, everyone was doing Jeff Mello front burn here and front burn there and dig this. I'm like, God damn it. We lost again by a couple points because I couldn't burn around. So we put an Atlas in it with cutting brakes. We moved up the transmission and the engine. So we had more clearance and we want, we want a lot of events and a lot of championships just doing our thing. I mean, the little, I knew the little yellow Jeep can only do so much. So we just did our thing. If we had to stack rocks, we stack rocks. We were very strategic on, well, let's let them, a lot of guys, most guys have the mentality, go big or go home. I've, I've never had that mentality. I mean, I enjoy technical rock crawling and having a good time and not destroying my stuff. And that's one thing that's been really cool since coming back to rock crawling the last few years that we rock is you don't, you don't, you don't go and roll. I mean, you can go roll over and destroy your stuff, but pr pretty much it's a technical courses. You know, a lot of people say, Oh, it's not tough enough. It's not hard enough. But honestly, it, it, I think it's, it's great. I love, love when the competition's down to a point or a backup or a cone and you go home with a, a rig that you're not going to have to work on pretty much, which is, is another benefit. So that is, that, that is by design. I, yeah, it, it's, it, it, cause we used to years ago, you know, we, there would be guys, half the field would be broken. Correct. And then people would stop coming. So, so I love the technical stuff. So back to 2000. So yeah, I had the little yellow Jeep from 2001 to 2006. And then in 2006, I really wanted to step it up. So I contacted Mitch Guthrie. He had the first Campbell Enterprise moon buggy. Yep. And uh, Mitch was kind of done. And, and rock crawling, I wouldn't say it was dead, but it wasn't like it was. You know, not a, you know, a lot of people decided go do go to do the go fast stuff because the go fast stuff was kind of hidden. You know, everyone wants to be a go fast desert racer, right? That's what kind of you know until they realize the money it costs to do that. Well, that and and the way I look at it is that rock crawling to be successful, there's a skill level that you have to have to obtain. And there's a lot of strategy in it. And if you, it's a lot different than trail wheeling because you're forced into driving the course designer's line. And that didn't matter if it was who was designing the courses. You know, you, you had to do what the course designer wanted. Couldn't just, you know, go around stuff. Go fast, no matter how fast you're going. Even if you're the slowest guy out there, you're still going as fast as you can to your ability. And it's fun. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But yes, you're right. The best thing I ever heard from anybody was Campbell, Nick. He goes, you know, the nice thing about rock crawling is I can take my car from one event to the next. And all I have to do to prep is open it up and check and top off the fuels and check the air pressure in the tires. He goes, you know, with racing, every single event, it's $10,000 per race per car, especially yeah. now that they've all gone IFS. Yeah. So I contacted Mitch Guthrie and uh, I bought his moon buggy, the first Shannon, Shannon Campbell built uh, moon buggy um, ever built. I think it was right after Tiny was built, which Nelson built, who kind of revolutionized the whole rock crawling industry. And then we went when we rock crawled from 2006 to 2009, won a lot of championships, um, won, won a lot of events. Uh, that was that was really cool. I had a few different spot spotters. My dad was getting a little up there in age, so I had Jack Graff from CTM Racing spot and uh, Mike Berard. He's a he's a really good rock crawler, and a few others. I'm having a hard time remembering names, but yeah, it, it was good. Because um, you're only as good as your spotter. Actually, you gotta you gotta really understand what they're seeing and how to see it, and it's a team effort. Unless you're Justin Kilman, and you don't really need a spotter, you can just go to an event and do well. <laughs> well, you Which, know, you've done a good thing by by getting Randall behind the wheel, because I really think that a spotter needs to understand the capabilities of the vehicle. They got to know when they can rear dig, when to, 
you know, what exactly the car is going to do to put you on the right line. And you, then you have to have that trust in your spotter um, that he's not going to, he or she is not going to put you uh, in a position where you're going to, you know, throw it off a 30 foot cliff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and having your spotter drive, they, they see that they see what you see, they see what you're going through and, and understanding it, it, it that, that has really, really helped us out a lot on putting him in the driver's seat. And, you know, he, he loved to drive. He could drive every event he would. So I, I, it, it, it's just a, it's another, it's a payback to on the commitment and everything that he's done with his time and going to the events and everything. So, and, and another part of it is for me, I, I mean, I've been driving for t- almost 20 years. So, I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool seeing it from another side of it, understanding what it takes to do to be a spotter. Cause there's, there's good spotters and there's bad spotters and, uh, <laughs> it's a lot of work. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's nice if you have a spotter that can can read the lines. I'm always amazed, you know, as a course designer, I spend a lot of time, everybody thinks I just throw cones out there and it's that's not that's not the idea. I'm I'm sure there are people that design courses that do that just say, "Oh, here's a hard spot and put the cones there." I like to throw the cones up so sometimes it's it's difficult to get to the cones, sometimes it's difficult to get through the cones, or once you get through the cones, then it's like, oh, okay, great. Now how do I get the next angle to get to the next set of cones? You know, there's a lot that goes into it. There's very, I don't want to say there's very few, but, you know, there's there's times where I'll set up a course and I'll go, okay, if they do this one particular thing, they're going to get this this bonus or they're going to get this line better to skip the next bonus because it'll screw you up to get to the next gate, whatever. And then I see guys go just plowing into, into things and not doing it the way that I've designed it in my head, how it's going to work. Have I ever driven anything like what I've put up? No, you know, I've never driven a buggy like yours or anybody else's. And I particularly don't want to drive my courses, but having done it for so many years, and watching the vehicles, you know, I know what your vehicle is going to do and how it's going to react differently than one of Jesse's, even though they're they're very similar, just because of diff- the way the different tires handle, um, the way the portals are, the engine, the torque, all that kind of things. Everybody's vehicle works differently, and then you know, but the the spotters yeah, and the drivers and it, all it, differently too. It's such a mine, a mine, you know, a mines. I say I say the f word, but so it's such a mind f word, because uh, like last last event I went to, first course we saw a couple of guys go and they 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 hit this one particular cone. I'm like, okay, well, Randall, we're gonna need to take that cone. I don't see anyone getting through it, so we took the cone, went back through and did that. And then the next day, I asked, run that course. I mean, it's dead. The, the event's over. He says, sure go up there and walk right through the freaking course. So it, it's, it's all in here on a lot of things that you, your mind just screws with you sometimes like, Oh, well it, it can't be done. But then you come to find out it's, it's, it, it can be done. So absolutely. And yeah. then there, there was another course, the same thing as like, Oh, if we just do this, because if you just tweak it a little bit with the, you know, a little here and a little there, it, it makes a huge difference. You know, a lot of people have a hard time with the time which teams are definitely getting better because they used to be, I mean, if you, if you 40 a course, which means you time out or you hit too many cones, you're done. There's no way you'll ever win that event because all you have to do is get through mainly all the courses. Jacob Reeves is a good example of that. He is very consistent. He he's, we've gone out to Johnson Valley multiple times and I've been helping him and teaching him the things I know. This last event, I believe he got third or fourth. Third, third, third place. Third, third place. You know, with small tires, full chassis. What did he do? He finished all the courses. I mean, that is that's all. That not that that's all you have to do, but you're going to be in the top if you stay consistent and and get through all the courses and use your head. You know, don't don't bite pick out more choose. than you can chew. Yeah, pick and choose which which bonuses to go for and which ones to look at and say, you know, I might be able to do it, but that might is where it's going to cost you the forty. You know, yep. either in a rollover or time. Yeah. So 2006 to 2009, I, I had the moon buggy. And then 2009, uh, and we had a lot of sponsors. So if anyone's watching this wondering, well, how did you get the sponsors? 
it, it, it just like anything in life, you, you go after them. You be, you be persistent and consistent. You know, one thing I've learned in life is being persistent. It, if you want something, you're going to get it. You know, and uh, we got a lot of sponsors. One of our main sponsors was Detroit Locker. They liked our, our team, our whole whole thing. Lindsay, my wife, she, I mean, there was back in the day, she had pom-poms in her hair and she, you know, had her bright shirt on and all that. And we had our dog, Willie, who passed away years ago. And, you know, they really liked our team. And we were the Detroit Locker team, which was really cool for a number of years. And Lindsay actually would do all the marketing for Team Wagoner Racing. That was her name. And uh, she did a really good job. We were, I was actually, we were actually making money. I mean, we would get a lot of tires and um, get some money. It was, it was a good thing. I mean, people say, oh, you can't make money racing. Well, there was a few years that it was really good. <laughs> so 2009 came, LaserNut started, which is my, our, our company, LaserNut. We do uh, laser cutting. Uh, we started that in 2007, w- which is part of my dad's company. So, because I, I, I worked for my dad, and my dad on the way to a rock crawl said, Hey, Cody, I think we're going to buy a laser. I'm like, what What do you mean a laser? What, what are we going to do with a laser? Well, you cut metal out with it. I'm like, Okay, cool. Well, let, well, so we bought this used laser and we put it into our 32,000 square foot facility, which had no work. I mean, it was an empty building. And uh, we spent a year learning how to run it. Um, well, a couple other guys, Brad and James, spent a year learning how to run it. And then we sat in our board meeting in 2007 and said, okay, we got the laser up and running. Who's going to get work for it? Everyone you know, looked, looked at each other like, not me, not me. I'm uh, not a salesman. <laughs> I, I guess I will. I'm sitting here doing nothing, so I'll go out and get work for it. <laughs> so I made up a little postcard, literally drove from company to company in the local area, handing postcards out saying, Hey, we do laser cutting, you know, you got anything for us? And uh, one postcard uh, got to summit industries. I don't even know if they're around anymore, which is Jardine performance, Doug Thorley headers. They're one of our first large customers and there was a lot of flanges. So we started cutting out flanges. Well, this little 1500 watt laser had a hard time cutting three eighths thick flanges. We actually had, a weed water weeder spraying water onto the material while the laser head is cutting to keep the material cool. So we'd get a cool, get a, get a good flange. <laughs> so I, so I went to my dad in 2008 and I said, dad, well, well I'm cutting out a lot of flanges and I'm having a hell of a time cutting out. I, I, we need to get a new laser. We were slowly building the company. The first year we did 200,000 in sales then the second we did 600,000 in sales. I mean, we were doubling every year. And then we did 1.2 million in sales. And, you know, now we're doing a lot more. But uh, it's, uh, it just slow. It was a slow growth deal. I did a lot of off-road parts, started con- contacting my sponsors. Um, one of the postcards got to Fabtech Motorsports. They make suspension parts and shocks and stuff. And they got that postcard in the mail because I got all the SIC codes of companies and, and mass mail them out to all those companies. Then they get this stupid little postcard and go, oh, wow, they do laser cutting. And they call us and we build a relationship and uh, start doing cutting for them. So they turned into one of our largest customers for years doing the suspension parts and brackets and it snowballed into laser cutting and then they'd say, Hey, can you do some bending? And I'm like, well, I got a break. I can bend up that part. Well, I thought I knew how to bend. We didn't know how to bend. So we spent some time learning how to bend accurately and consistently where we determined that we needed a more accurate break to bend the parts. So we started doing laser cutting, bending, and then they go, Hey, can you guys do some welding? I'm like, yeah, we know how to weld. We've got a welder. We didn't know how to weld. Not, not the, so we learned how to weld. <laughs> Make it until you make it. <laughs> right? So we bought welders, and, and now we have actually we have si- uh, six press brakes. Let's start at the beginning. We have five lasers. We're one of the, we are probably the largest laser cutting facility in Southern California. So we, do, we have five lasers, six press brakes, three robotic welders, a bunch of manual welders. We do aluminum welding and steel welding. How many employees um, do you have now? Uh, right now we're at, we had the, you know, with this whole thing going on, we're, we're, I think we're at about 60 employees. Uh, luckily we're in a, we are in an essential related business. Come to find out all our, 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 all our customers are auto repair facilities. That's what they're under. So they're allowed to stay open during this, this deal. And uh, so now we're allowed to stay open to 
fund them. A lot of military contracts, police apartments, and all that, which are also essential also. So fortunately, we are able to keep the doors open as long as obviously the work comes in, which so far it has been. But uh, yeah, um, it's been fun. And then the laser nut has been has been cool because it, I'm able to like cut off road parts, which was my hobby for all those years. So my customers are my friends, are my family type thing, which is really cool. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a really a dream, a dream. The whole thing to be able to do what I love, off roading, and be able to tie it in with customers and working, and it's it's just you know how they say do what you love. It's turned into that, which has been really really cool. I focused on laser nut, getting more customers and building up the the, the brand base and. I sold my moon buggy, um, Shannon Cumble moon buggy, and bought a uh, a twisted custom four seater, and what started going the hammers again. Because uh, when I was competing, I never would go recreation wheeling. Went recreation wheeling for four years, and then I went to the King of the Hammers for the first time, first time in 2013. Because I never would go, because I knew I'd get the bug. Went to the to the hammers, like man, I can do this. <laughs> that year, Randy Slauson won, so I'm like. Hey, Dad, I think we ought to do this. Oh, yeah, let's do it. So we called Randy Slauson. We had him build two identical bombers. Uh, I raced in 2014, got top 20. 2015, got a top 10. And that's when I said, man, I'm, I'm never going to beat Randy Slauson in, in this this bomber. So I had a relationship with Armada Engineering, laser cutting their parts. And I'm like, they're very innovative and cutting edge. So we designed the Ultra 4 that I have now. And in 2016, the car shouldn't have been there. It showed up to the lake bed. I mean, it wasn't tested. We had some issues. Got to third lap and a harness burned up. 2017, I probably got the years all screwed up. We got a top 10. I think I got eighth place. And then the last couple of years, um, we had some DNFs. And then this last year, we had Cameron Steele, a trophy truck driver, commentator guy, drive it. He did really well. He was actually leading the race 28 miles from the finish in first place, which it, it was huge. And we had another failure, which we've never had a failure of this part. So we will make it stronger and better and be ready for 2021. But back to rock crawling. So that was that's the go fast part of it. And uh, I got back into rock crawling uh, going 2016. Somewhere right around there, I bought uh, Brent Brent Bradshaw's uh, moon buggy, which I've always liked. Uh, he just wanted way too much money for it, and then he finally came down like three or four years later, and I bought it. So I drove up to Oregon, picked that up, and started competing. And just like my little yellow CJ5, I couldn't beat anyone because I didn't have rear steer. <laughs> <laughs> I get second and third, and we did really well, you know, not having rear steer, but couldn't couldn't. Well, in so what do you do? <laughs> Contacted Jesse Haynes. We we were starting to build a relationship over the years, and uh, had him build his first moon buggy he's ever built, and uh, he built that, and uh, we started winning, doing quite well. And now the moon buggy, I mean, there's a lot of people buying this moon buggy. Why I don't know, but I mean, people are just buying it to recreation wheel and compete, and it's a really cool buggy portals and all the stuff. So when I got back into the, the, the rock crawling, that was about the time we had Lacey and Lacey, my, my youngest daughter, um, she knew nothing about rock crawling cause I, we weren't really doing it. So I really wanted to have a legacy and, and, and show her what we were doing. You know, what, I don't know. I just want to get back into it too. Cause I, I, you know, doing it for 20 years, there's not a lot of people that can say they've not say, but it, it, to do it for 20 some years is a long time, <laughs> actually yeah, yeah. 25 years. <laughs> so yeah, where we are now is I do the rock crawling competitions. Um, well, was doing them before this, this whole deal. And uh, also the go fast, which I've gone out of the driver's seat and we have Cameron still driving the car who, who's doing a really good job. We aren't going to do any go fast this year. It'll be King of the hammers coming up in 2021. And, I really wanted to focus on rock crawling. I wanted to do the East Coast events um, this year, 2020, and the West Coast, and win the championship. Which that's they're still, still gonna, they're all still going to happen. Yeah, good, good. We're just all we're doing is postponing until they clear us. And 
for those of you that, that are hearing this sometime down the road, you know, we are sitting here in this uh, shelter in place. I'm in Texas. Uh, Cody is in Southern California. And uh, we're now, oh, I don't know, what, what is it, the beginning, uh, very end of March. April 1st is tomorrow. So we're, uh, we're hoping that all this stuff blows through. And we're hoping all of, our, all of our people and everybody else and their families and their friends all stay safe in this. And if they do get it, uh, that they, they recover quickly. Looks like Jesse Haynes is, is doing that, recovering. His kids just, you know, didn't get it. Well, they caught it, but they didn't get it badly. And Sarah has been healthy the whole time. So that's good to hear. And we hope everybody else can do that. We're not going to cancel any events. We're going we're gonna to continue to do them unless this thing drags on past the beginning of July. Then we may have to look at, at dropping an event or two just because we won't be able to have enough free weekends to get them all done. Uh, but we're even ready to, to push the national finals into October if we have to, or later into September to fit everything in. If you remember, up until we started going Neozumi's events, we never, uh, our events were always, finals were always in October, and we moved them into September so that we could facilitate working with Neozumi in Japan, and uh, that's what we've continued to do. I, I like the way the season rolls out that way, but uh, depending on what we, what we have to do because of this, we're going to keep the, we're going to keep the sport alive. All right, so uh, Cody, you, you mentioned about uh, getting your kids involved, and uh, I know that this year you just had a kids buggy built, uh, like a 75, 80% copy of what would be a Twisted Customs car by Ryan Busa. Can you share with us what your, your ideas on behind that was? Yeah, so um, I, I saw on social media, Ryan uh, was, had, a, had a, um, a splitting image of his uh, Twisted Custom buggy. And, um, and it was like 30% smaller and I saw his kid drive it. And I'm like, man, that's pretty cool. So um, typical fashion, I reached out to him and said, hey, do you, are you selling those? He's all, no. And I'm like, well, if I bought one from you, would would you sell one to me? He's all, sure. He he built one for us. It was, <laughs> I guess, that simple. So, oh, uh, and then also, I got to go down to Texas to um, Mason, Texas. Yeah, we went down there and I picked it up. I really thought my older daughter would would be get a kick of it. She's actually driven it a few times, but she's just not into it, which I respect. It's fine. But I'm really hoping my four and a half year old um, Lacey, who who's just a whole nother breed, pretty crazy, um, full 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 tilt until she you know falls over and goes to sleep. So I, I think she's. I'm hoping she's going to be my driver. I can only hope. You know, I'm not going to push them or pressure them to do anything. She seems to. I mean, she, we have this razor. Um, out of laser town she puts her helmet on she can barely see over the roll bar and she just goes i mean she'll go drive that thing for an hour two hours and and it really enjoys it so i'm really hoping that she'll be my driver to uh not my driver but i'll be able to get her into the sport and possibly spot her and you know making it making it part of who she is um, I, I, I think that, that's my goal. That that would be the only thing a dad can hope for, right? Is to have have your, one of your kids want to do something like that, that that you've done all these years. Absolutely, and that Ryan had, has built some really nice looking rigs with yours and and his son. We did a, a an article in Forlow Magazine about the two rigs out there at Katempsi when I first saw it, and then when I heard that you were having him build one, it was. Uh, I thought that was off the hook and I hope Lacey does enjoy it enough to where she gets involved in it. You know, we have opened up it. We rock the kids buggy class. We have two different classes for those kids. And right now we only have one East coast and one West coast driver, both five and six years old. So we're looking forward to that. But with the two classes, you know, we have a five to nine year old class or five to eight and then a nine to 11 year old class. We're really hoping that that's going to help, the sport flourish over the next uh, decade or so and get more kids involved. Cause we know, you know, families, you know, they want to be, they want to do what their kids want to do too. And uh, the kids want to do what the parents do quite often. So, you know, wheeling has been really good for my family. You know, I, I just want to bring that out to everybody else and hope Lacey gets involved with it, like you said, and becomes a, a driver. So the competitions will be there. And if she wants to do it, I hope you guys do. Yeah, I'm going to have to get a bigger trailer. 
<laughs> Help now, the economy, but, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, right. Yeah, it, it's pretty cool. You know, I, I mentioned Jacob Reeves earlier in the um, in the conversation. Yeah, a young kid wants to learn, wants to do the best. I mean, th- that that's a inspiration in itself. I mean, he's got a full size buggy, smaller tires, doesn't have portals. And he's out there with his dad, dad spotting, and, and, and his mom, and they, they live it, eat it, and breathe it. And it's just so cool seeing that. And then, like, for example, Jewel um, out of Farmington, I believe, New Mexico, I let her drive my, my moon buggy at the last competition. And it was just, um, it's just amazing, you know, when someone drives a piece of machinery like that that's never driven it, that it, it, it's just a smile on the face. You know, I had one kid or one adult come up to me that I let drive the moon buggy a few months ago. And they're like, that's the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. That's like top of the list. <laughs> that was just like, wow, that, that was, it was cool to share and, and give people, let people enjoy the experience. Cause way I always looked at it, you know, most people, you know, look up to the drivers or looked up to the spotters and, and, and not in just this sport, but NASCAR or, or monster jam or whatever motorsports or trophy truck drivers, whatever sport there is, but no one ever gets to understand. No one ever gets to drive. So when you give someone the opportunity to go for a ride in the ultra four, you know, race car or let them drive, drive the, the moon buggy, something that is not like anything else in, in off road and actually feel, you know, feel the tire go above your yourself and do an, uh, an incline feeling like the buggy's going to roll over backwards because you're already inclined. You know, I always call it, sitting in a recliner in a couch, you know, that's what I always feel like I'm sitting on. I'm already inclined. And then you go up, you know, at a 45 degree and you're looking up at the stars. It's cool to be able to share that. And I, I really enjoy sharing that. And if anyone's listening, you know, honestly, hit me, not honestly, but hit me up at any event. After an event, typically we get done between two and three in the afternoon and I don't have anything else to do. So hit me up. I'll let you drive the moon buggy. So where, where are things going at you guys still expanding with, with laser nut and uh, how's laser town doing? Um, that's one thing I want to touch on is laser town. I, I want to thank you for giving the rock crawlers a home in Johnson Valley during KOH. Okay. It's, it's great when I, when I come by laser town and I see all the rock crawlers there camped out on your property. It's just like being at one of the events, except they're, everybody's doing trail rides and hanging out, and it's it's awesome that uh, that you make that available, and then you know everybody gets to camp together instead of being spread out all across the lake bed in you know the Thunderdome. You might want to call. <laughs> yeah, right. The, so so yeah, Laser Town. Um, it, it's just a, po- a piece of private property that I own out out in Johnson Valley. I guess I can go through the story. So a few years ago, four four years ago, an acquaintance of mine said, "Hey, do you want to buy a piece piece of property out in Johnson Valley?" I'm like, "Where? Oh, it's right by the lake bed." I'm like, "There's no private property out by the lake bed." And he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah. There's ten acres, and I found it in a land auction." And the guy didn't pay his, uh, his property tax and uh, we can bid on it. And I'm like, well, what's the starting bid? He's all, it's 3,200 bucks. So he had two other partners. So the total of four partners, it, would, it was an $800 question. So I'm like, well, I don't know where he's talking about this private property. Cause there's not, I, I didn't know there was private property. And he, he, uh, I said, sure. So he, he, we, we make the bid 3,200, no one else bid on it. We got the property 10 acres for 3,200 bucks. The four of us, Four of us went out there in the middle of the desert where Laser Town is. Like, okay, well, we need to get a surveyor out here and put the four corners in. Well, what do you mean a surveyor? Oh, the guy comes out with his his uh, satellite thing, and he'll put a corner here and a corner here, and a corner and a corner. You know, it's six sixty by six sixty. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I, I'm learning a lot. I love learning things. So, like, okay, let's do that. So he comes in, he goes out there, and he puts the four corners in, and then we all stood and look at each other, like, what are we gonna do next? <laughs> like, well, uh, we can get uh, uh, some heavy equipment out here and we can start moving all the brush out of the way. Like, okay. So they, uh, the one guy got this heavy equipment or, or, or a Caterpillar Earth Mover, whatever, whatever it is. I think a D5 or something. Well, anyways, he started moving the trees and, or not trees, the bushes. And then we're like, well, we're going to put a, a fence or a gate around it. Like, yeah, that's cost too much money. Let's, let, let's make a, let's make a berm. Let's make a, a sand berm. So we started moving everything out and we started putting a berm around the, 
the property. And when we moved all the all the the ground, especially with the creosote, those those bushes, um, because there's those are mounds, so you have to flatten it out. It got real sandy, kind of like a glamis. I mean, it was just a pure sand pit. So we we brought a water truck in and made a wagon wheel, and had King of the Hammers there in this one little wagon wheel that we hardened up the ground, and uh, it kind of just went from there. So I first I brought one container out. And I wanted to put it with, so the wind wouldn't blow on my RV. And I also could put all my wood and my chairs and all the crap that you bring out to the desert and bring back to the desert. That was like the worst thing is loading and unloading every time you go to the desert. So I got the container and we put stuff in there. And we had that for, I don't know, a year or so. And then one year for King of the Hammers, we put up the, the big tents. I had six or eight guys come out for a day carpet sandbags the whole the whole thing it was heaters all the stuff sat down at the fire two hours later well the wind came up the tents just just boom gone like okay i guess we're not gonna have tents this year because i'm not gonna spend any more money putting the tents back up so then i'm like well if we get two more containers and make a u-shape we can build a canopy. I mean, that's what laser nut, you know, we can build the trusses and do the sheet metal. We know how to weld. So we made a canopy 14 foot high. So it's a 40 foot by 40 foot, 1600 square foot canopy area. Um, that's permanent. And the first thing, one of the things we're worried about is the wind. Well, the wind comes up and blows it down because it gets really windy out there as everyone knows. And knock on wood, we've, it's been up, never had an issue with that. And then that snowed ball into, uh, well, then I had to buy two partners out. You know, they, they, uh, people change, you know, they have kids and everything. So they, they were kind of done with the desert. So I bought them out. And then my other partner about a year or so after that, I, we had some issues and I bought him out. So I, I own laser town. I own it hundred percent. I'll tell you one thing about partners. If you don't have to have a partner, it's not worth having a partner because people, the reason why I say that is, it might be all great in the beginning. Oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. But, but then wives get involved and family gets involved and, and people's priorities change. So, you know, it sounds all great, but just, just, just from ex the experience I had, it's best not to have a partner. <laughs> I agree. So we put a, a well in, so we have sustainable water and uh, we, we go out, we, you know, I kind of mapped it out and like, man, we go out about a month and a half a year. And the worst thing about Johnson, for me going to Johnson Valley is from my house, it's about two and a half hours away. And if you want to go for the day or say you want to go for the weekend to get the RV and get everything loaded up to go out for 48 to 72 hours and then come back, it, it, just, it was so much work just doing that. So I'm like, well, what if we build a house out there? Well, we can't build a normal house. We'll need to build, you know, we can't do a, man, a manufactured home because of the issues that are out there with break-ins and stuff. So I kept seeing all these container homes. I'm like, man, what about a container home? You know, it's secure. And we, I guess we can probably do it ourselves. So we bought a few containers. My original idea was to do five containers on the first floor and then five containers on a second floor. Because I thought it'd be really cool. It, it's amazing in Johnson Valley if you get up off the ground about ten to fifteen feet, the view you have of the whole area. Well, we decided that doing that with stairs. I am getting older, and I have stairs on my house now, and I've always wanted a one-story. So <laughs> we decided to do ten containers across thirty-two hundred square feet, which is a big container home. Most container homes are are small. We learned a lot. I've never built a home before, let alone a container home. Um, I, we got a crew of guys and, and just made a home and, uh, we built most of it at, at, at laser nut behind our shop. We had a two acres behind our shop and then we shipped the containers out, all 10 of them out there. And we put beams down and leveled it all out and then pushed the containers into place and then finished out the, did all the rest of the finish work out there. And, uh, it turned out pretty bitchy. I mean, we've had some, oh, we should have done that. We could have done this, but all in all for my family, we're going to, I think we're going to go out there this weekend to, to be able to go out there, open it up, be safe, be comfortable and have everything there, hot water as much as you want. 
uh, power, a TV. I mean, it, it, it has there. It's it, it's actually it's bigger than the home I live in. I mean, it's 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 nice having some extra room, so not everyone's walking around on top of each other. And then you go right out the door, and it it just it, it, I say it's dreams come true because it's a dream I had, and it came true to see my daughter, you know, and my other daughter go out and hang out at the pond or go over to the hammock area and the other one running around on her razor. It, it just, it's just cool. Cause most people that go to Johnson, and I shouldn't say most people, a lot of people that go to Johnson Valley, it's a boys trip, right? It's, it's the boys going to Johnson Valley to let loose. I've never been that boy that I, I like, like, like my family there. I like, you know, they, I like, they, I really enjoy being around my family and, and then this whole adventure we're having right now with the whole, you know, thing of a do going on. It's it. You got to really enjoy your family or <laughs> all, all hell's going to break loose. You know? <laughs> yeah. How many divorces are going to happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's been fun. We, we really don't have any, other, I bought another 10, another 10. So I have actually a total of 30 acres out there. I don't know. Maybe someday there'll be other things that happen. I, I mean, I sometimes vision like, well, what, there's so many people that go out to Johnson Valley now, maybe, you can do an RV park or, I mean, just something. It'd be kind of cool. It'd collect money, you know, every day from a guy who wants to camp there for 100 bucks a night or 50 bucks a night. I don't know. Maybe that's another thing. But I, I think, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. Cool. Well, Cody, um, thank you so much for uh, joining me and uh, talking about your life, everything you have going on and what you've done in the past. Appreciate that. We wish you the best of luck into the future. I know we'll all get through this and we'll all start wheeling here real, real soon again, all together. And, uh, I look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate everything you've done all these years, Rich, you know, you've stuck with it and never gave up and, you know, you, you do your own thing, which I, I respect that also. But if, if anyone, uh, ever wants to know what it is that you're like to drive a moon buggy or going on ultra four, you just have to ask. Um, same with, if you need anything from laser nut, uh, laser nut, we're a job shop. We do anything from one part to a million parts. We laser cut, we bend, we weld, uh, countersink tap, pem nut, uh, sand. We make complete product lines. Uh, for example, bumpers, you, you probably a bumper you've seen go down the road. We made, we don't, we don't sell anything ourselves. We make them for customers and then they sell it to the end user. We, we make a lot of cool stuff. And I, I'm really stoked to be part of the community and uh, be able to do what I love. It's been, it's been, a, it's been a fun ride. I'm excited to see what the next 20 years bring, brings. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Cody, thank you very much. Say hello to your family for me, and we'll see you out uh, hopefully here real soon at a rock crawl. Sounds good. Have fun. Thanks. All right. Thank you. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.